electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property. It's the location and neighborhood. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. And when I say in-depth, I'm talking deep. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood, complete with a video guide. They also have details about local schools with test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know, all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Welcome to another special West Coast edition of Bad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. How doing, my friends? I'm just trying to make you some money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate and to teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. We need to talk about competition. Oh, it's the best thing in the world when you're a consumer, isn't it? It's how you get lower prices, better products. But competition is the worst thing in the world. <laughs> When you're running a business, or of course you own shares in that business, I think that's the biggest lesson from the companies that have reported this week, including today where the Dow dipped 60 points, S&P advanced 0.34%, NASDAQ gained 0.45%. Yep, unbridled competition is wreaking havoc across a host of industries, and it's putting tremendous pressure on a number of stocks. In fact, that competition is extra deadly right now, and I'm going to tell you why. At the moment, big institutional money managers who control the largest pools of capital are searching for companies with two characteristics. They want fast revenue growth, but they also want rising gross margins. Everybody loves revenue growth, but if you don't have rising margins, you know what that translates into? It translates into the kinds of things that I most fear about. Maybe some companies are simply buying revenue at a ridiculously high cost, rather than focusing on profitability down the road. You know, we don't know how a, what an underlying company is worth if it can't generate actual earnings or is just buying revenues. So where does competition come in? All right, well, I, I, if, when you don't have much competition, it is easy for your gross margins to rise because your customers don't have many alternatives. Few competitors translates directly into higher earnings and higher stock prices. <laughs> This isn't a new idea. I created the term FANG and then added a second A, precisely because Facebook, Amazon, Apple, Netflix, and Google were all unrivaled companies with what? Fast revenue growth and expanding gross margins. The fact that most of these companies are within striking distance of their all-time highs or are there shows you the power of limited competition. Nobody's challenging Google and search. 
No one can touch Facebook and social media, not even Twitter, which we're going to have on later in the show. Amazon has been up and down solely because of its margins. But I think that's mostly under their control. Apple's have production issues, but we're now seeing that their phones are selling incredibly well. No promotions. And the stock hit a new high today based on word that they're moving into homegrown electric vehicles. I've got an idea on Apple I'm going to share with you. I say own it, don't trade it. Then there's what's arguably the greatest market darling of this current era, and that is NVIDIA, which we're speaking to tomorrow. I can't believe we're going to the Oracle, the real Oracle, the Oracle of tech, the Oracle of philosophy. Yes, Jensen Wong. Now, this semiconductor and software company, notice I said and software company, we're not pitching this as a chip company. This is a titan. And it's got the fastest revenue growth and some of the most outstanding gross margins I have seen of any large company. And that's why I'm so thrilled to make the pilgrimage to their headquarters tomorrow. The quarter NVIDIA reported last night was truly a thing of beauty. Hence the stock's gigantic 8% rally today. I read it from 1 a.m. to 3 a.m. today. And I'm still trying to understand everything they're doing. But I'm not going to stop. Now, I am thrilled that my charitable trust owns all these stocks save Netflix. Oh, and it's awfully hard to go wrong when you bet on companies with strong sales growth and rising gross margins. That's what I teach you when you join the CBC Investing Club, which you know I'm urging you to do. Okay, enough positives. Let's go to the dark side. The companies that haven't been able to deliver the one-two punch and what happens to their stocks. In many cases, these are victims of ruinous competition. Take the payment space. For years, financial technology was beloved, right? FinTech by Wall Street, we love it. Let's create some ETFs for it. The growth was extraordinary, the margins unassailable, because there was plenty of growth to grow around, not a lot of competition. But this is the quarter that many now claim is the end of the line for FinTech especially since there's so much money going around to fund new competitors at scale, meaning that they have real heft from the get-go. Affirm, the buy-now-pay-later kingpin that we talked to earlier this week is taking on the whole credit card industry, and by extension, their processors, Visa and MasterCard, the two kings. Affirm just became the exclusive buy-now-pay-later provider for Amazon, something that would have been a nice plum for Square, given they just shelled out $29 billion stock for Afterpay, another buy-now-pay-later service. And we know it means a lot to Macy's, too, as we'll find out later in the show. These, are, oh, and still one more, Klarna, which is a force internationally, may just smash everyone else's margins, including my beloved PayPal. A company with a once roaring stock that's now being crushed mercilessly almost daily. Even today, when a brokerage firm initiated coverage of the stock with a buy rating and it earned a big chunk of um, the business of Macy's. No, not happening. In short, the battlefield, the battlefield is now littered with fintech bus. And while we're buying PayPal down here for the charitable trust, can I just tell you something? And we also own MasterCard. The recent action is a humble reminder that you can't afford to get cocky about a segment, a sector that had always seemed to be hot for years and years and years that's now gone cold. Second, second example, we're seeing the beginnings of a war in the electric vehicle space coming right out of nowhere. For a long time, this group had been immune to selling. We were at Lucid earlier this weekend until yesterday owning Rivian was like owning Secretariat. Now, though, Ford has announced that it's doubling the electric vehicle capacity it has, and they'll have the chips to ramp up the production thanks to a special deal they made with Global Foundries. At the same time, we just learned that Apple wants a piece of the pie, too. Nobody has the kind of Worcester brand name that can compete with Apple, except maybe Tesla. When you see competition exploding all over the place like this, you've got with rich players, guys are loaded. 
you got to bet that gross margins are going to come down for the entire industry. Uh, and they're no longer just going to make money and do well because they're not unionized. Uh-uh. That's the sell-off. Third, have you seen the gambling stocks lately? I mean, I, well, try not to. I mean, they're being crushed. They are just being annihilated. And that, why? Well, I mean, I can tell you why. It's because there's too much competition. Now, that sure wasn't the case when DraftKings came public via SPAC a year ago. It looked like they had the whole field to themselves. Then Penn National Gaming came in, real robbery begun. They did that deal with bar stools. Then the companies with no real cost of capital, the casinos got in the digital racket. Next thing you know, profitability has been squeezed while the cost of acquiring new customers is shot through the roof. I don't know how you get a truce going in that industry. Without some aggressive consolidation, that might not get regulatory approval anyway. It seems like the days where digital gambling was just a green field are over. It seems uninvestable. Now, I do like the pure casino stocks, but they are caught in the morass. If you want to see a real sign of what declining gross margins can mean, take a look at Walmart. Or maybe don't. Don't look at the stock, at least. Virtually every retailer is blown away the estimates this earnings season because there's been very little discounting, very little promotion. For example, Macy's saw its stock store 21% today. Then we have an amazing quarter. Wow! But Walmart, it actually chose not to raise prices. It decided it wasn't going to have a good stock. It decided to be a price cutter. Wall Street's furious, and they took it out on the stock. Zero benefit of the doubt for the people running the largest retailer in America. Contrast that with Home Depot or Lowe's. They can do no wrong because they're passing on rising costs to the public. And the public has no choice, especially the professionals who buy stuff and then do over your house. Why do they have no choice? Because these two chains have single-handedly wiped out the competition already. There are no small hardware stores to speak of. Now, I know it seems like a simplistic way to judge stocks. There are lots of ways margins can expand. Maybe a company comes up with a better way to make widgets. Maybe management finds cost to cut. But that's not what I'm talking about here. Wall Street loves more than anything. What they want is when companies can make fortunes because they have little competition, they have tremendous pricing power, and they can keep raising prices on you at will. The bottom line. It's no secret that many of these Silicon Valley stocks trade at lofty levels precisely because these people, they have like no rivals whatsoever. But as we've seen from the meltdown of the financial tech stocks, you get complacent at your own risk when you've got those fat, gross margins. I say stay close to gross margins because they, more than anything else, is the coin of today's Wall Street realm. I say we take calls in the special West Coast edition. I think we start with Michael, where we were, New York. Michael in New York. Hi, Jim. Hi, uh, Mike here from Oceanside, New York. Uh, first, Oceanside. I want to thank you. Thank you, thank you for everything you do for, for us regular investors. Quite welcome. I love your show. Ah, um, thanks a lot, buddy. I know. I know you told us to stay away from Peloton. Unfortunately, I did not listen to your advice on this one. I like the brand, and I took a chance on stock sell under 100. My average price is $92. I got out of 70% of my position at a loss after recent earnings uh, report. My question is, do I hold the rest of my 30% and wait for well, it to I don't like a company that tells me they don't need to raise money and then raises money. You know, there's a company called Bed Bath & Beyond. They have hangers for sale. I'm going to tell my wife to maybe put the Peloton in the closet, stop hanging the jog bras on that, and go buy some hangers. That will probably save us money. Please, I want to save you money. You don't want to own that stock. Many Silicon Valley stocks trade at lofty levels because they have few rivals. But as competition wreaks havoc across a host of industries, 
It's important that you don't get complacent. Well, man, buddy, tonight, social media companies were hit hard by Apple's new privacy rules. Hey, how's Twitter doing in that new world? Don't miss my exclusive with the company's top brass. Then, the miracle quarter on 34th Street. Shares of Macy's rallied more than 20% today after a better-than-expected port. I got the CEO, and I got to tell you something. I see much more ahead. Hey, and what's working with Workday? My post-journey sit-down with the company's top brass. You don't want to miss it. So stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call at 1 800 743 CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Fact Running a business is not getting easier on your wallet. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. Also a fact, smart businesses are reducing costs and headaches by graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You can cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. See how you'll profit with NetSuite, and then you can think of all the ways you could be spending the money you save. Company retreat in Malibu, anyone? By popular demand, NetSuite is offering a -a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to NetSuite.com to start saving. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visible visibility at indeed.com slash mad money. Just go to indeed.com slash mad money right now and support this show by saying you heard about indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash mad money. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need indeed. Is social media in crisis thanks to these new privacy rules of Apple, making it harder to do targeted advertising? Last month, Snap reported a dismal quarter, and its stock went into free fall. But when Twitter reported three weeks ago, they told a very different story. Twitter delivered a generally solid quarter with inline sales, inline monetizable daily active users. Though the earnings came in a tad light, and that was some one-time items. 
According to management, Twitter's not getting hurt by Apple's privacy rules because they primarily do brand advertising, not direct response, even though I want them to do more direct response. In fact, they even see these privacy changes as an opportunity because they make brand advertising more attractive. Now, initially, Twitter stock jumped in response. Then it quickly gave up its gains and actually sold off hard the following day. Since then, it's continued to drift lower. Kind of a quandary to me. I'm thinking maybe it's a good buying opportunity, especially because it reigns supreme as the place to converse, and that matters tremendously to the people who work there. But before I weigh in, let's check in with Ned Siegel. He is the chief financial officer of Twitter to get a better read on what's happening. Ned, welcome back to Man Money. Thanks for having me, Jim. So, Ned, we've been talking all week about the idea that people come out here to work because they have a purpose. And Twitter is, as you know, I think, the conversation of the world. Is that driving the best minds to Twitter? Well, it's foundational for everything we do. Our purpose is to serve the public conversation. That's how we attract and retain the very best people to the company. That's how we attract the conversation that happens on Twitter. It guides our policies, our principles, and all the work that we do. It also brings advertisers to Twitter because they understand and want to be a part of that conversation. Okay, now, uh, obviously, the next question would be, we got a presidential election coming up in 2024. Do you let anyone who is running for president be part of the conversation, even if they've been previously banned from Twitter? Here I am thinking about former President Trump. Well, there are no changes to the policies and all the decisions that we've made in the past. You know, there are elections happening all over the world all the time on Twitter. And the conversation around them, whether it's from the candidates themselves or from people with lots of opinions that they want to share or people who want to learn and see all sides of the conversation are so robust. And we work so hard to enforce our policies clearly and transparently and consistently, regardless of whoever it is. Who, well, who do is you go Twitter. through the ranks and say, listen, these big decisions, including the uh, banning of President Trump, we want to know whether you're on board? Whenever we we try to be really thoughtful when we create the policies so that when the decision's being made, it's really just about reading the policy and thinking about how to enforce it. Right, Ned, I've got to tell you, as soon as the Apple uh, decision came out, I said, these guys are what we call first party. They're not going to be affected. It's going to get a lot more advertisers. I still think that. I didn't think the quarter was anything that was bad, so to speak. Can you help me here? You and I are both mystified, correct, that the stock is still going down? Well, we feel like we left the third quarter with the wind at our backs. We grew ads revenue 41 percent, overall revenue 37 percent. We grew our audience 13 percent, accelerating from Q2. We feel like we've got tremendous momentum going into what's a really important quarter in Q4. And as you mentioned, we're not as impacted by others by Apple's changes because of our brand advertising and because there's so much unique signal on Twitter that we historically haven't leveraged as much as we can that we'll, we'll do a better well, job. Let's of talk about future. that because I agree. You know, I think the personalization, uh, which uh, Jack's been talking, Jack Dorsey's been talking about, is the key to, to social media and the key to the web. You know, I think that there is a lot, a lot more ways to monetize. Uh, it, it, is it distraction that's kept you? Because you know, I think that there's pots of gold all over the site. Well, I think 41% revenue growth suggests that we're not distracted. We're laser focused on our revenue product roadmap, which is continuing to build out our brand products, but also getting the 50-50 brand revenue and direct response revenue over time. Our map ad formats, these are app installs where you click to download, whether it's from a crypto advertiser or from a betting advertiser. Uh, this is a great way for us to benefit from secular trends that are happening in the world. Website clicks helps us connect buyers on Twitter with the people who are selling goods and services. You know, more than 
well more than half of the ad revenue for Twitter is tied to services and digital goods, not to physical goods. So we really feel like we're laser focused on the roadmap and got a lot of opportunity. Well, in front you of mentioned us. crypto. Should you take it all the way? I know you were quoted the other day in the journal saying, as the CFO, you're not ready to do business with it. But we had, uh, we know we had Amrita, who's it the other day, and she's CFO of a, what I guess you could call a sister company because Jack Dorsey does run both. She's all in. Can you be all in as CFO? I mean, or is it just too difficult to transact, say, in, in, in Bitcoin? Well, I don't think investors buy Twitter because they want exposure to Bitcoin. But there's so much that we can do with crypto to help people on Twitter. Today, you can go to my profile. You can go to the top right and you can click on tips if you like what I'm doing. And you can tip me in Bitcoin. Okay. Uh, you can tip me with the Cash App. You can tip me with Venmo as well. We've hired a crypto lead who's going to help us think about all the ways that we can leverage crypto and blockchain technology to help people on Twitter. So we don't need it on our balance sheet in order to make sure that all the benefits that crypto can deliver to people on Twitter are, are there for them. All right. Now, why can't we go to Twitter uh, and be willing to pay for special feeds that help us, I'm going to give some obvious one, in gambling, help us in, more importantly for me, fantasy. Because 55 million people play fantasy, but I think all 55 are tuned in to Twitter. But I don't feel like Twitter is getting compensated for the information that they give me. Well, I know you spend a lot of time on, on Twitter, Jim. You've got 1.7 million followers. You follow a lot of sports teams and you follow the markets. And you come to Twitter to be a part of the conversation and to see what other people are saying. If you do that, there are going to be great ways for us to better monetize Twitter over time through ads and through subscriptions. So although you won't be betting on Twitter, you're going to download a betting app. Although you won't be investing on Twitter, uh, we're going to continue to grow the investment that you see from the uh, financial services and uh, crypto advertisers on our platform over time. Okay, one last question. This comes from my daughter, who uh, first put me on Twitter in 2009. She said, you've got to ask. Ned, uh, why he allows all those nasty comments about you uh, and ask him whether that's because Twitter makes more money having those than not. Well, as you know, we work so hard to promote a healthy conversation on Twitter. We want people to feel safe being a part of the conversation. We want them to trust the information that they see. We have policies that we try to enforce consistently, transparently, and uh, all around the world in the same way. And we've promoted more and more controls for people. So, you know, you can go to Twitter now and you can start a conversation. And if you don't like how people are replying, you can remove people from the conversation. You can block them. How about if we ask for the real names? Well, there are some situations where having a real name might be helpful, but there are others, such as Arab Spring, where it allows people to speak truth to power in a way that can be incredibly important. So we have to find the right balance between those, where we hold everybody to the same account, whether it's a real name behind the account or not. And that's absolutely true. And I tell my daughter that you guys have been, you've tried every way you can. It's just a tough situation when people want to trash you. It's just tough. Well, giving people more and more control, we think, will help. Both you continue to tweet as much as you do, but also help make sure that people whose voices don't belong in those conversations aren't there. Okay, and you know I will. You know I enjoy it too. Early morning, late at night, doesn't matter. Ned Siegel is the CFO of Twitter, has always been great, forthcoming, always helpful. And I still think that Twitter stock is worth a lot more than itself for. I just don't. Well, let's just see what happens. Maybe when he's back at the break. Coming up, this icon didn't wait for a miracle on 34th Street. 
Kramer catches up with a company that's having a year to remember. Next. The spirit of performance defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura's been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It offers flexible spending capacity that adapts to your business. You can also earn up to $395 in annual statement credits on eligible purchases at select business merchants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. What happens when an old dog pulls off a major pivot? In a year of giant returns, Macy's is securing a digital future. Can investors expect the good times to parade on? We already knew this was going to be an incredibly good quarter for retail. But we didn't know it would be this fabulous. Just look at Macy's, up 21% today after reporting a magnificent set of numbers. Here's a stock that was already up 175% for the year before today's move. But it just keeps roaring higher because business is on fire. Macy's earned $1.23 per share when Wall Street was only looking for 31 cents. Well, there's a monster beat. Inventory flying off the shelves, full price, no promotions. Same time, the company had 37% same-store sales growth. Analysts looking for 32 even better, the company's making big moves to expand the digital footprint. And that's why the stock caught fire today. I wouldn't be surprised if this thing can continue to run and run and maybe run further. So let's dig deeper with Jeff Gannett, the chairman and CEO of Macy's, old friend of the show, man of the hour. Mr. Gannett, congratulations on the quarter and welcome back to Man Money. Uh, thank you, Jim. It's great to be with you. I see you have one of my uh, Treasure Island right behind you. Gorgeous. Fantastic. I know Gorgeous. you know the area well. All right, Jim, I've got to tell you, this quarter took my breath away. We could be talking about how great online was or the millions of new people that have come to it. But I am struck by the fact that if you do third party and beautiful curation, Jeff, I'm going to say it. I think people want an alternative to Amazon. Could Macy's be that alternative when it comes to nice apparel? You know, what I'd say, Jim, is that, you know, obviously the Polaris strategy is getting some traction. And, you know, through the pandemic, we have really focused on transforming into a digitally-led omnichannel retailer. And what you saw today was our announcement that we were going to add a marketplace on top of our tracking to be a $10 billion website. Uh, now, that always works in conjunction with having very healthy brick and mortar. And that's both on mall and what we're now experimenting with in terms of off-mall uh, brick and mortar formats. So um, we're just in a healthier place than we were when we entered the pandemic. You look at our balance sheet, we've had the opportunity to invest in our business 
and we had a good post today. Thanks to 100,000 colleagues that wake up every day ready to serve this customer. Well, let's talk about all the new customers you're bringing in. I've always felt that was an amazing metric. We can talk same store. But the fact is, is that Macy's is growing and growing with new people. Can you tell me what's the demographic? The younger people coming in? These are people also, I think, would definitely want to use uh, any sort of uh, omni-channel that you've got going. Yeah, so that's uh, so we had about four, uh, like 4.4 million customers that came into the brand in the third quarter. And a portion of those were core customers that were re-engaging that we hadn't seen them for about 12 months, but the bulk of them were brand new to the brand. And Jim, they're younger, they're more diverse, and they're predominantly coming in through digital. And they're coming in on new categories, and we now have the opportunity through everything we're doing with our personalization initiatives to start to seed you know, new ways for them to shop the second and the third time. We're finding that they're finding their way into the stores, uh, it's just been a great flywheel for us. And so what we look at is that of those new customers, we want to see at least 20% of them shopping with us the next quarter. And that's what's been happening. So we've been on this run of these new customers coming in, and we now have a loyalty program that's 70% of our business. And so we have this opportunity to move away from broad-based promotion to now go into personalized messaging. And that's also helping our profitability. Well, look, I, I, my first credit card was the Macy's credit card, like many of the people my generation. I see now you've got buy now, pay later. Could that lead to people having a credit card, lead to a, a Macy's credit card, which is an incredibly profitable operation? Yeah, you know, that's exactly right. So that was like a very, very needed feature of ours was basically to have installment pay and not just have it in big ticket or fine jewelry, but have it in anything that a customer wanted. So this was a younger customer. They were asking for that. So this affiliation we did with Klarna, big win. What we announced today with PayPal and Venmo to have new ways of, of a customer to be able to transact with us is really with this younger customer in mind. And so uh, it's been a big win for us. All right. So I want people to understand how important this is. And you're the person who can explain it really, really well to our regular audience here. That in uh, second half of 2022, we will connect carefully selected third party sellers with our customers in a scalable way and provide even greater breadth of assortment, exciting products. Could you walk us through this? Because to me, this sounds like a curated Amazon that would really help everybody day to day buy clothes. Yeah. So, you know, we obviously invested early in digital. And so we have the second largest website in the country in our categories next to Amazon. And we were doing it with basically owned inventory and basically doing it with vendor direct. And we were looking out at the landscape. We saw a lot of the behavior of the customer during the pandemic. And they were asking for categories and brands that we didn't carry. You know, in the pandemic, bread makers was an instant sellout. And we had an opportunity to look at, okay, how are we going to accomplish this? So the time was right for us to develop a a marketplace. So over the past year, we did all of our research. We looked exactly at where the competitive cycle was. We want to make sure that it's curated, that it stands for fashion and style. We, we, we picked the right partner in Miracle, which is going to be uh, our partner, our technology partner that's going to build this marketplace with us. With a view in mind that this is going to be incremental value that's going to go on top of the $10 billion that we've already put out there as a marker. So this is going to make happier customers in new brands, new categories. We're gonna connect sellers with them. We're gonna do it through Miracle. We're standing up a new organization to do it. And we're doing it at both Bloomingdale's and at Macy's. So wow. it's coming to wow. our customers by the back half of 22. Are people gonna do what my wife does, get that personal shopper for at Bloomingdale's for the holidays? 
Yeah, well, you know, that's the other thing we announced is, is what we're doing right now with like live shopping. So, you know, this is a category which, again, through the pandemic, through necessity, how do we want to attract customers that didn't want to come to a store or didn't want to? And so right now we're using our amazing colleagues as basically personal shoppers, and they're doing that virtually. So virtual shopping from one to one or from one to many is also a new piece of our arsenal at both brands. All right. Last question. Alex Partners brought in Fine Alpha and using myself. They're analyzing uh, the possibility of spinning off the uh, uh, I mean, channel spin off the web. I, I have to tell you, Jeff, it's possible that it, uh, it's possible that the company's worth twice what it's selling for if you do it. Well, let me just tell you that at the end of the day, I think what everybody can agree on is the omnichannel behavior of the customer. That customer is going to be respected at all costs. And so, you know, the board, myself, you know, our advisors, we look at this all the time and we look at well, how's the company more valuable to the shareholder as a unified company or as, as separate companies. And so that's what really led us to our transformation strategy with Polaris that we're getting some good traction on with lots of innings ahead of us. But with the value that the market is putting on e-commerce, we needed to take another look. So bringing in Alex Partners, which is a great you know, third party, they're gonna pressure test this. They're gonna work through our analysis. We're in the middle of that right now. We don't have any conclusions, but we'll be transparent with the market about where those findings take us. You know, at the end of the day, we're going to take care of this omnichannel customer. Now, you, I know you are. This is a, just a great moment. You've built it for a long time. It's really happening. Jeff Gannett, Chairman and CEO of Macy's. Thank you for coming on Mad Money and sharing the story. Thanks, Jim. Good to have you. Mad Money's back after the break. Coming up, this Kramer fave has been a long-term winner. After earnings, what's next for Workday? We've got the CEO next. Everybody loves to complain about inflation, right? But don't forget, there are plenty of companies that benefit from rising prices, especially the rising price of labor. Companies like Workday, the cloud-based software platform that makes it easier to automate back-office jobs in financial planning and human resources. Now, this stock has been what I call an anointed winner. It's catching upgrade after upgrade in recent weeks. But when Workday reported tonight, it sold off hard in after hours. I mean, it doesn't seem to matter that Workday actually delivered an incredibly strong set of numbers. Accelerating revenue growth, ARG, rising to 20%. Robust guidance for the next quarter, too. Even better, management raised their full-year forecast, guided a 20% subscription next year. Well, that's the kind of growth I want. But Wall Street seemed to be freaked out because they replaced the CFO. Or, I don't know, they don't like the $510 million acquisition announced alongside reports that I, I liked it. Mainly, though, I think Workday is selling off because it came in too hot. be a real mistake to do anything but buy this dip. And that's how powerful I felt the underlying numbers are. But let's dig deeper with Anil Bushries, the co-founder, chairman, and co-CEO of Workday, as well as Pete Schlamp. He's the newly appointed chief strategy officer. Gentlemen, congratulations to the quarter, and welcome back to Mad Money. Anil, we're seeing an amazing acceleration in your business. What's behind it? You know, a couple of things, Jim. First of all, great to be with you again Thank and in you. person. Thank you. First time in a couple of years. Yes, uh, very been. nice. Uh, you know, the, the cloud goes uh, goes forward unabated, and I and I think coming out of the pandemic, uh, companies are reevaluating their systems and they are trying to move as much into the cloud so they can run their businesses in a remote or hybrid work environment. And labor is is a, a critical area and short uh, shortage of supply right now. 
So it drives people to look at their HR systems in particular. We had a great quarter in HR and a great quarter in finance. Well, what I'm noticing, Peter, is, is there's a whole new kind of workforce out there. I mean, you could call them giga. I don't like that. That doesn't work. I like extended non-employees. You made an acquisition tonight to me. It's a gem. I didn't even know it existed. As soon as I heard about it, I said, that was brilliant. Yeah. We, uh, we bought a new company today, uh, or we uh, intend to do so, with a company called Benly. And it's really kind of attaching to this trend that happened in the pandemic where workers want more flexibility, companies want to have more control over their extended workforce, and also be able to uh, uh, flex and expand quickly. Benly allows companies to manage their entire workforce uh, from sourcing all the way to offboarding if they need mostly for the non-employee workforce. You combine it together with Workday's uh, focus on employee workforce, you get a total workforce optimization with Workday. And to me, it made me also think, it hit me like a time, I realized I should have thought about it a long time ago, the great resignation. How do you play the theory of the great, it's Workday. The great resignation means people are leaving, but you don't necessarily want them to leave. You've got to figure out what to do. It's happening more on mass. Four million people leave the workforce in September. What are you guys doing in order to help companies that are desperate about this great resignation? Well, I think two things. Uh, number one, we're trying to help companies keep their best employees. Yes. And uh, uh, that's leveraging our new Pecan solution where you really understand how engaged your employees are and what their sentiment is. Mm-hmm. So that's number one. Uh, number two is continuing to improve your uh, employees' skill set so they feel like they're still learning through our learning management uh, efforts. And then, of course, uh, a very powerful recruiting platform to get new people in as, as soon as possible and get them trained up. Now, you've won a number of uh, giant ones. I'm going to talk about them. But, it, look, you also can put out a release. Most people are not able to put out such an incredible release. Uh, Workday announces expanded use of its applications across Google's global workforce. You and Google are very close. Do a lot together. Very close. They're a great partner. Uh, you know, we're embracing the Google Cloud. They're embracing Workday to a larger extent. And it's, uh, it's a great way to, uh, to work together. So they understand how our products work as users. Right. And they have an amazing cloud, uh, along with along with the other great cloud providers out there. All right, so tell me, Peter, uh, man I know well, Doug Yearly from Philadelphia, uh, the man who runs Toll Brothers. I asked him, I said, you, you were mentioned in one of uh, Workday's releases. He said, well, they're coming in. They're going to convert things. Uh, we like them immediately. We just started working with them. Uh, what will you be doing for now for like, Toll Brothers? Yeah, you know, I think that uh, Toll Brothers, just like many companies, are looking and they're seeing that there's this acceleration gap, what they were able to do in the, in the past and what they need to do in the future. And being able to be on a platform like Workday allows people to kind of run in the now, recalibrate. Run uh, in the now. Run in the now, have all the data right in, right in their fingertips. Oh, okay. Right. Um, recalibrate, put new processes in place overnight. Uh, so, you know, being able to really just accelerate their business by being on this new cloud 2.0 platform. Okay, so are there must be people at this point looking at your business and saying, you know what, I, we got to stop them. For instance, you won KeyBank. KeyBank is really incredibly important because it's, it's a nationwide bank, but they all they have disparate systems. You obviously organize that. You are starting to win business that is clearly being taken from others. You've always had an amazing win rate, but I mean, when do we? When do people try to stop Workday? Because that's how powerful you become. Uh, you know, I think our competitors have been trying to stop us since day one. And, you know, as long as we do the right things by taking care of employees, building great product, taking care of our customers, I frankly don't worry that much about competition. I worry about are we still intimate with our customers? Are we hiring the best and brightest? And are they building the best product? And my, no. my co-founder has always said, you know, the best product doesn't win all the time, but it sure wins a lot. It really does. Now, well, this, I'm going to get into you, Pete. Uh, my wife's on the board of college. Uh, on Bucknell, 
and always checks in and tells me that Workday is continuing to find new ways to save money, but, but, but in a gentle way. I mean, you guys don't come in like gangbusters and say, fire these 50 people. That's not your style. No, not at all. We really come in and to partner with our customers and, and find ways to adapt to their existing business, but then allow them to, to move forward. You mentioned student, by the way. You mentioned you know, Bucknell. You know, the, the whole state and local government and then also the education market has been great for us. It recently. really has been. Yeah. I don't know if people understand how huge it is. For, and it's good because the schools don't have as much money as they used to. No, but they've got they face the same problems as, as all enterprises. Right. They need to modernize, they need to move to the next generation of technology. You know, we've made an investment in Workday Student, which actually runs everything soup to nuts for uh, for universities. Uh, and that's been really successful for us the last couple uh, years. It's been driving some of our state and local business as well. Well, look, I got to tell you, if this is your moment. I mean, there's been many moments we've talked over many, many years, but this combination of what's happened post the pandemic and the help that companies need and what you can do for them is spectacular. I would give you the big handshake, but we know the new world. I'm just thrilled to be here seeing you in person. Okay, that's Workday's co-founder, chairman and CEO, a co-CEO, Neil Bushry, and the company's chief strategy officer, Pete Slam. Workday has been a favorite of ours since, I don't know, more than a decade. And I just think you got to double down. That, it's that good for them right now. Anybody's back yet to the break. Coming up next. Let's make money together. What do we got? Kramer's bringing the thunder and answering your burning questions in today's edition of The Lightning Round. It is time! It is time for a special edition of the Mad Money Lightning Round! You say the name is Taka, I tell you what, I'm going to buy myself, I'm going to play this out, and then the Lightning Rounds are, are you ready, Ski? Dad, the Lightning Round is going to be Jay in Tennessee, Jay! Yeah, Booyah Jim from Tennessee. Booyah Jay! Digital, digital world acquisition and the Trump combination. How's it look? Jimmy Chill knows not to go too close to that one. That's what I call a dice roll. And I cannot opine on a dice roll. Too hard for me. Jim in Nevada. Another Jim. Jim. Kramer. Yo, yo. Kramer, I've got about $4,000 in short-term losses on lemonade. I go long-term next month. Should I dump it? And if so, what do I buy? It's down so low. It's just been such a terrible slog. I even like that last acquisition. I want you to hold on to it for a little bit more, okay? It's just, it can't be this bad. There's an advertisement for you. Lemonade, it can't be this bad. All right, let's go to Josh in New York. Josh. Thanks, Dr. Kramer. How are you? Oh, man, I feel, I'm feeling doctorish myself. The chill man's doctorish. What's going on? Excellent. Hey, uh, thank you for being the voice of reason wherever the market goes. I really appreciate it. Doing my darn best. Thank you. All right. Well, I'm talking about a fertility benefits provider called Progeny. What can you tell me? We like this company. I mean, he's got a great business model. We don't even know who the competition is. Well, you can't beat that. They got no gross margin problem. I say it's a buy. No, I'm not done because I got to go to Sheriff in California. He's right here probably. Sheriff! Booyah, Jim! Booyah! It's right there! <laughs> it's, it's Sharaf, but that was close. Hey, Jim. Oh, Sharaf, I've I'm watched sorry. your show for over a decade, and I'm still baffled at how you keep up with so many companies. I don't sleep. I have a miserable life, and this is all I care about. 
So I've heard, but, you know, I appreciate all your knowledge. So here, this company reported two blowout quarters since coming public this year. They're growing revenues over 100%, but it still seems under the radar with only a four times forward sales multiple. What do you think of the artificial intelligence, job-matching company, Zip Recruiter, ticker ZIP? I, I, this thing, you are so, this is under the radar. Every time I go into the elevator to the New York Stock Exchange, I see it says, you know, this deal came public. Nobody, no one was really focused on it. It doesn't say that. I think, I think you own it. I think you're right. It needs sponsorship badly, though. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Coming up. Kramer tees up some can't-miss context around big-money moves in the markets. Next. Kramer, you are super. You are awesome. I'm a first-time investor. Thank you for inspiring me to get in the game. Your show is the best. I am so glad you're on TV. I want you to know that you have transformed me. Thank you, Kramer. You need to understand something about institutional selling now that so many stocks are getting hit with it. First, institutions are obvious. They tend to have two arms, the trading arm and the research arm, and they're combustible when working together against a company that screws up. Take Disney. This was supposed to be the best of the reopening plays. People were going to flock back to the movies and the theme parks once the pandemic drew to its inevitable conclusion. But Disney started another business, a streaming service, and that's become the be-all and end-all of the stock. doesn't matter that the movies are doing well or the theme park attendance is ticking up. Wall Street only cares about Disney Plus signups. It's like the old days when Wall Street only cared about ESPN subscribers. So when Disney Plus started slowing down, like what happened to ESPN, <laughs> but it happened this quarter, some very big institutions somehow felt betrayed or fed up with this iconic company. So now they're full of wrath, and that wrath blinds them to the reason why we've got a small position in Disney for the charitable trust. They own a set of iconic franchises, including the most coveted intellectual property in the world. So why dump it when it's down? This is a company with a stock that is cheaper than it will be when the excitement of the pipeline becomes clear to all. But that doesn't mean a thing right now. It doesn't matter to Wall Street. It doesn't matter to the big institutions that do this when they're angry. Okay, so let's walk through it. Let's say one of them owns 25 million shares in Disney. There are a lot of shareholders that big. And they believed Disney Plus was going to grow like a young Netflix. Then the research person who's responsible for following Disney position, but doesn't like the conference call. It's not going to be the next Netflix after all. So they go to the chief portfolio manager and express their dismay. The research boss then says, well, what are you waiting for? Get rid of that darn thing. Every single share. Sell, 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 sell. Next, the person in charge of the position runs to the trading desk and says, you know that Disney position, 25 million shares? I want it out. I don't want to see it ever again. Get it off my sheets. Now, when I worked with Karen Kramer, who previously ran an institutional trading desk, she walked me through the cadence. How, how much do you want to lose today? What kind of loan do you want me to use? Well, that's translated means how many shares do I have to sell today and how low are you willing to sell them? What price? Now, if you look at what's happened to Disney stock over the last week, it is clear some enraged portfolio managers have said, I want all 25 million gone. I want to go on today. Any price. I don't care. Just get me out. 
Now, the traders who have, have a very difficult balancing act, they have to balance the wrath of the portfolio manager versus what they think is a reasonable price because their pay stems from how well they can offload positions without destroying the stock. The adamance of the portfolio measures, well, it's, uh, I don't want to say it's unimportant, but it's not paramount for them. So a trader might pick up the phone and call, say, Goldman Sachs, say, hey, listen, she's a time-sized seller, got eight-figure size Disney to go. Now, there may have been a time when when Disney stock would have traded like this. Goldman would call back and say, you know what? The last price was 158. I will bid you 156 down two points for 25 million shares. These days, that doesn't happen. That's called positioning. It just doesn't happen. Instead, the brokerage trader who takes the orders asks for low and then tries to get out of the stock with the equivalent of extreme prejudice. Of course, the number of shares is so great that the stock can't handle that pressure, especially because this is only one of many disappointed institutions that's trying to dump the stock wholesale at the exact same time. After that quarter, I bet there are at least a half a dozen major players of 10 million shares or more who are doing the exact same thing. And the result, even though the bad news happened a week ago, these institutions still are not done selling the stock of Walt Disney. There's just too much to get rid of, and there's no buyback. What's that mean? Okay, simple. When big institutions turn against the stock, you can't buy it on day one, day two, day three, or even day four. Instead, you've got to wait until the institutional selling runs its course. Sometimes it takes five days. We're not even there yet. Once the big money manager finishes unloading, then, if you're like me, and you see Disney, again, iconic company, excellent long-term prospects, then you can start buying it gradually, which is our plan for the charitable trust. We're going to talk about that when we give our talk in December. We recognize that the extreme downdraft in Disney is about the mechanics of money management, not the management of Bob Chapek and company, not the fundamentals of the company. Think of it as the process of wrath. And once the process runs its course, I think you'll have a terrific entry point. I think with the stock of Walt Disney, the profits of wrath await you. I would like to say there's always a bull market somewhere. I promise you I'll find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you tomorrow. The news with Shepard Smith starts now. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.